Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host Clint Locklear and we've got another information field show for you tonight. Um, you know, just what's been going on in my life last uh, day and a half has been nuts. And I wish I could say it's because of something to do with lures or bait or I've been adjusting traps or nothing. No, 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 no. Whew, let me tell you. I love my wife, but I think there should be a law that wives and husbands should not work together on projects where neither one of you know what you're doing. Men and women think different. We look at problems different. We work the problem different. And and, uh, and eventually it works out. And out to get through what I had to do yesterday, I had to break into the scotch after about two and a half hours. So what happened is... Uh, my wife started going to a gym to do yoga and they had infrared saunas in there. So that's not a sauna that you sit in, you throw the water on the rocks. And we both started using it and really liked it. And what I found out was when I started researching it, you can, you can burn 300 to 600 calories in 30 to 40 minutes sitting there in this thing. Now, that's like the equivalent of going running two miles. So, I was like, oh yeah, I'm in. Well, then they stopped doing yoga. Then they wanted to do yoga for 30 minutes and this, that, and the other. And it wasn't a very cheap place to go. So, we we dropped it because she didn't want to go except for the sauna. And I was only really going for the sauna because it really wasn't my type of gym. So, anyway, we bought one of these things. And it showed up yesterday, or not before last three great big boxes it's made out of eucalyptus wood which come to find out is a heavy ass wood and it's got glass doors and glass panels and and all this stuff and so we start tearing these boxes down we're dragging these things in we, we actually had to go get a, one of those little carts that you get the wheels on to get it in here and then we started trying to assemble this and the most fun part was my wife is five foot three. She's not the strongest. And we have, I guess it's 72 inches long by four and a half feet, double walled eucalyptus with wires in it that we had to press over our head and put on top of that thing. So to say that I'm not sore today is an understatement, but it, it, it's, uh, I'm glad I got it. I can tell you that. But that, that's just, you know, stuff that happens that I can tell you I'll hope to never, ever have to put one of these things together. But I can't wait to get in it this evening because it'll be the first time that I get in this thing. So instead of making lure the last day and a half, we've been putting together a box. And I'm looking at it right now. And I can tell you when we move, it's going with the house. Because there's no way we're taking this thing apart. So before we uh, get into our sponsors, I want to remind everybody about the school that me and Jeff has. We have a trapping school that's in September in Iowa. We have two classes. Um, you know, if you go to wolfernation.com, which is my website, and go to the PCG store, and you look under business course and schools, you can get all the information, all the ins and outs, class dates, when you show up, when you leave, what you need to bring, all that type stuff. Uh, 
basically is going to be right there. We predominantly do predators at the school. And the reason is I've done a lot of teaching in a lot of schools and that's what most people are interested in when they come to class. It's not really raccoon trapping and beaver trapping. But if you want to ask questions and get into that, we definitely can. But it'll be predominantly on fox, coyotes, and coyotes. Uh, and bobcats, see, fox, bobcats, and coyotes. Me and Jeff figured out last year that if we're together, actually the class is better so what we were doing at the first class last year is i took six there's only 12 going to be at the school at a time i took six jeff took six and we went about our way but when we got together some really interesting things started happening because we you know we were going in different directions doing our own thing but when we were together we could play off of each other of experiences and what we've done and what we've seen and what we tried and when a student asks a question about this particular thing me and Jeff is standing right there so we can cover this all at the same time and that worked out really well so if you're interested in going to a baller I'd almost dare say gangster trapping school look it up on Wolfer Nation the the only downside to the school that i could tell is we put so much information out on predators in a, in two days that most people were actually becoming numb by 12 o'clock on the second day so if you're going to come be mentally prepared because it's fast-paced it's a ton of information there's a lot of thinking involved because i want you to be able to think on your own on your own line instead of just trying to copy what you saw us do so there's a lot of of lot of thinking that goes on because that's what trapping is so if you're interested check out the school let us know and we can get you in there so before we start in the the regular part of the the show which kind of what i'm looking at doing today is getting kids started in trapping just some things to think about uh, we had Chip last week talk about turkeys, so I thought that I would talk about turkeys and in a way that uh, we can use those things after you harvest them, hunting them, or you got friends you can get them from, that you can go catch more fur with them. And I had a question about marking locations, which we're going to get into. And if we have time, I've got another topic that we're going we're gonna to cover at the very end. But before we do, I want to thank our sponsors. We got four sponsors, that's all I have. I could have a lot more if I wanted them, but I know I've got sponsors that are actually taking care of people. They take care of trappers. When you send them money, you don't have to worry about it. When they send you a product, it's what it's supposed to be. Um, they're all really good at shipping. They're just honest people. I deal with every single one of the sponsors. Business, and I've known them for years. So the first one is F&T Fur Harvesters, everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. They're also the home of the FB1 and the FP2 dogproof traps. If you're in the market for a dogproof trap, you need to check those out. You really do. American made and American quality. Now they have 
everything that you would want in trapping. They have all kind of lures, traps. They make a lot of products over at QSR. Um, you know, they, they, one of the last people it seems like to be able to still have wax dirt and wax sand is going to be F&T. So you, you want to put them on your phone and if you need something, just call up real quick or go ahead and mark them as your favorites on a, in your on Google. That way you can go straight to the store, get what you want, and you'll be surprised how fast that comes. Next is Funky Trap Tags and Supplies. Also the sponsor of Man Strong Podcast, which I'll be doing tomorrow. And he's got a full line of trapping supplies. Uh, he's now the maker of the Sleepy Creek aluminum body grip setters, which are the best, hands down. He's also making the Sleepy Creek wire stretchers, which are the ones with the real sharp points that are made out of aluminum so you don't have all the issues with steel or the dull points. He's the one that's making those now. You can get those from him. And he's got a full line of trapping supply. Uh, uh, lures and traps, body grips, gizmos, gadgets, whatever you're looking for, he's probably got it. He's also got stuff for the hunting, hunting side, the fishing side, and the predator calling side. So Funky Trap Tags and Supplies, another good place to mark in your phone. So when you need something, you can get it real quick. Then we have Oki Cable and Trap. He's out of Oklahoma. Jeb's just a really good guy that I've known for years. Uh, he buys fur some years, buys and sells meat some years, buys and sells glands some years. And I know, like personally, if I need, say, 50 to 100 gallons or 100 pounds of sodium benzenoid, I can call Jeb, and he could be anywhere, and in about three days, it's sitting on my front porch. That's what you're looking for when you're dealing with companies. They don't just put everything off, they get it out to you because they know you need it. And Jeb's definitely one of those guys. Then we have Dunlap Lures. Jeff's a good friend of mine. He's gonna be doing a ton of shows. Uh, he's got the biggest face group, group out there, Trapper Talk. He's also on Instagram and uh, he just puts out a, a lot of good content. Now, one thing I want to tell you about Jeff, if you don't know, is he makes some really cool t-shirts. And I think he's got his own website at DunlapLures.com, I believe is what it is. But if you Google Dunlap Lures, you're going to find it. And he's got some really cool t-shirts on the market right now. And you would, you, you're you going to want some. When you see him, if you've ever watched the movie Jeremiah Johnson, you're going to want one. And he's got some other really cool ones boys of the fall and the death dealer stuff and he makes great lure great baits he's going to be at a ton of conventions you can talk to him about the school when you're out there because we're the ones doing it so dunlap lures somebody you want to know so let's get started with the night show now i don't have kids but i observe i look around and i watch and i listen and I've, I've noticed some things with people that take kids trapping that when they talk about it, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. Now, I think the first thing that if you're going to take a young person trapping, 
you know, like uh, four or five years old on up to high school. Guys, you're going to have to make it fun. You can't bring out the hardcore shoving traps in the ground and in the water and running like your hair's on fire for hour after hour after hour and think that a kid is going to want to ever do that again. Trapping is a lot of work. Kids don't want to work. They want to have fun. And if you want to get them interested in the outdoors and in trapping, you're going to have to make it fun. You might find out that if they got a place they'd like to eat breakfast, maybe that's how you should start the day. If you're in the South, it's going to be Hardee's. Go get some, you know, uh, sausage biscuits or gravy and biscuits and orange juice and some coffee or whatever. But if they enjoy doing that, make that part of the day. If you're, you know, eating at home and you're going to be out for a while, make sure that you stop into a quick shore and, you know, it may not be the healthiest, but get them a treat. Let them think they're one of the big boys or somewhere that's fun for lunch. Let them play the music that they want to play in the truck. You may find that the, 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 the reason they really want to go is because they get to be on a four-wheeler or a boat or a, some type of buggy. Let them drive a little bit, if, I mean, if, as long as they can. Make it fun. That should be, I think, in the top of your brain, is, am I making this fun for them where they want to come back? Or am I looking at it like I'm trying to train a Navy SEAL and I'm going to drive them in the dirt and I'm going to build character the first time they go out? Because if you do, they're not going to want to go. And they won't. They'll find a way to get out of it. They're going to get sick. They're going to complain to mom. They're going to just tell you they don't want to go. And if you force them to go, it's not going to go anywhere good because now it's, just, it's almost like punishment. So keep in mind that you want to make it fun. Now, the biggest advice I can, I would give somebody is you don't want to push a young kid when he's out trapping. He's going to be looking at trees and rocks and mushrooms and, you know, get him interested in looking at the tracks, you know, hey, I found some tracks over here. Come see if you can help me figure out what it is. Kids love puzzles. Kids love to find stuff because it, it, in their minds, it seems like that makes them important to you because they're actually helping with the process. But you don't want to push them. You don't want to take a five-year-old and think you're going to run a 200-mile line where they're getting in and out of the truck and slogging through mud. And as soon as they get out of the truck, everybody's slamming in a set and running back to the truck and going down the road. That's probably not going to happen. Now, as the kid gets older and the idea of hardcore is cool, say high school age, that could be a different story. But you have to know the kid. Because if the kid's not, doesn't have a hardcore bone in his body, trying to make him hardcore is just going to cause conflict. So let's, let's not do that. I would suggest a short line for the youngster. 
Now, what do I mean by this? Let's say you've been trapping for 30 years. And when you have time off to trap, you trap from daylight till dark. You look forward to it all year. You've got it planned out. You got all your traps ready. You set goals for what you want to catch. Your permissions are in place. You're, you're just like just nervous energy before the season starts. But that little kid's not going to be that way. So if you want to make it fun, it's not going to kill you guys to take an hour and a half to two hours in the morning and run a line with your kid. Try to make it as fun as possible. Let them call the shots. Let them pick, you know, kind of get them in the right place and let them pick the place they want to put the traps like dog proofs for coon or where you they want you to help them put in a coyote set. Let them think that they're the man or the girl, the woman. I don't know if little girls want to be women. Like, I don't know. But let them think that they're important in the decision making. So... If you run a short line, you can customize that for the kid. It's for the kid. You're trying to make the most awesome experience that you can make in that time. So you may actually go to some of your better places just to make sure that they see critters. You may set some species that you probably weren't that interested in. One thing between grown men and kids never changes. When they actually put something in the ground, like a dog proof or a foothold or a snare or a body grip, and they place it where they think it should go, and you help them block it in and make sure it's on a trail if it's a snare or something, and they come back and you watch the response. Just look at them, watch them. When they were part of something and now there's an actual living, breathing animal that they see like on TV, they see, you know, in cartoons, they read about them in first grade books. But now there's a living, breathing raccoon, possum, fox, bobcat, coyote, muskrat, beaver, mink, otter. And they can see a real, they can, they can actually look at it and watch it move and it growls at them. That's what you're, that's the memories that that kid's going to remember. So think about a short line. Think about making it just for them. Not you, but them. Then you can go out, set your hair on fire, drink kerosene, and run to your little limbs fall off. The other thing is pick easy animals for them. Possums, raccoons, muskrat, beaver. You gotta be, you know, some of the beaver equipment's a little dangerous. You gotta think about stuff like that. But they can be, you know, partners in setting some of that stuff up. But you want to have where they want to go with you because they know they're going to see animals most days. And in an hour or two, you should be able to pull that off. 
A couple of raccoons to a five-year-old is mind-blowing. To a 50-year-old that's seen thousands of coon, it's just another coon. To the kid, it's like seeing an alien. Now, if you're going to run them on predators, there's a couple of reasons why I think it's not a bad thing to do with young kids. One, they're going to want to tell everybody that they meet that they caught a coyote, or they caught a bobcat, or they caught a fox. It's going to be massive bragging rights. And what kid does not like to brag? But if it's a seven-year-old putting in coyote traps, there's some issues there. One, the trap. But figure out ways that you can set the trap. Have them pick where you're going to put it. Let them pick if it's going to be a dirt hole or a flat set or a blind set or a snare or whatever it is that you're doing. Let them pick out the lure. Let them put the lure in. You put the trap in or let them set the trap down in the bed, then you kind of bed it in. Let them sift it over, then you kind of clean it up, you know, where it's a team. If you'll do the team thing, to in their mind, it's theirs. So if you're going to run predators, think of a way that you're just not at telling them, this is how you do it, watch me, and then we'll come back and see if we caught something. No, no, no. You want them to be integrated as much in that process as you can be. One thing you need to do is you need to praise the living hell out of them on everything that they do right. And gently, gently persuade them by asking them questions and letting them come to their own conclusions by the way that you word the question, you're older than them, you should be smarter than them. So you can correct things without it being like a lecture. Kids don't like to be lectured. They get lectured all the time. They want to be grown up, so you need to talk to them that way when you're out trapping. That's your special time. So praise them. When you have... When they're, when they're helping make sets, step back with your smartphone and take pictures. One, you're going to be so grateful you did down the road. Two, when you make catches, you need to have them with the critter and standing behind them. All this type stuff. Take bunches and bunches of pictures. Brag on them. Tell when, when you meet a buddy of yours or uh, you know game warden or, or whatever you come across that it's appropriate brag about how good they are doing trapping and what they caught that little kid will sit there and just radiate he's going to want to continue to you know until he grows up he's going to want to continue to be with you because it's a cool thing you need to make it cool you need to make it fun now the other thing is money trapping for kids is one of the most unique things for entrepreneurship that I can think of. If you know what you're doing and you catch an animal, you can sell the animal. If you work hard, you can catch more animals. 
You don't get paid by the hour when you're trapping, kid or adult. It's production-based pay. And to a seven-year-old, they don't have a quite concept of what money is. A $5 raccoon and they catch 10 of them, that's $50. When they go sell the fur, I might even go as far as tell the fur buyer to double it and you'll pay him back on your fur. Then let that kid go find something that he wants to buy with his money. See, this is very different than what your kids are going to learn in school. You go get a job. You go trade hours for money. This teaches a kid that they can, with their own mind, their own will, their own hands, and their own dedication to something, can make money doing something that's fun. Now, are they going to pay for college with the fur market the way it is right now? No. But you can ingrain in them a lesson that's going to be very hard for you to find doing anything else. It's even different than having them cut yards or do chores around the house or something like that. They're going off in the wilderness with you and they're, they're killing it and they're bringing it back to the cave. And they're going to have a little bit of spending money to go do something with. Now, I do think, and I'm not going to get too far into this, this subject right now, but I do think if you listen to somebody like Dave Ramsey when it comes to this, you can teach them that they have the ability to go make money their self, which is massive. It also gives you the opportunity to teach them about how money works, how life works, how good people handle money. So you can find a creative way to go, okay, you're a big boy now, you've made some money. Now we have to make some decisions. What do, we, what do we want to do with the money? Because we don't want to waste that money. Look how hard you had to work for that. You had to get up early. You had to you know, eat bad food. You got rained on a few times. You had to dig in the dirt. You didn't have a day that you caught something every day. So there was a lot of work went into this. We want to make sure that we take care of this money. See, most adults don't take care of money. So we have to teach kids to take care of money. Even if you don't as a parent, this is a great lesson you can teach your kids. Say, take half of the money and you get to do whatever you want to with it. You can go buy video games. You can go buy yourself some traps. You can go buy some arrows for the bow. You can buy a coonskin cap. You can, you know, get a Valentine's gift for your girlfriend. But I think we need to take care of this money and do the responsible thing so we need to save some of this money so why don't we take 25% of what you make and save that goes into separate things savings and personally and not all people are going to agree with this and that's fine you're a parent 
I think one of the greatest lessons you could teach that kid at that time is since you have this money, you now have the ability to help somebody else that maybe doesn't have the money. Like a neighbor that's struggling that's older or a homeless person or church or a charity of some kind. And, and, and let them come up with it however they want to give that and talk it out with them so they understand how important that is. Because if you can teach them the, 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 the cool part of trapping with entrepreneurship, where you get to go out, kill it, and bring it back home and be rewarded, and you help people, that's the second biggest lesson in entrepreneurship. The more the entrepreneur helps people, the more money the entrepreneur has. And that may not make sense to someone that doesn't understand that. What I've learned from doing entrepreneur stuff since probably the third grade, if I can figure out how to help a person with a product or a service, where it, they're better off with it than without it. They're going to want to repay that. See, like I know when I do, and it's not the reason I do the podcast, but I know I probably sell 10% of the lure that I sell a year, or it could be 5%, whatever it is. And I've had several grown men tell me this at shows. They listen to Trapping Radio, which is free to them. They gain a lot of entertainment and applied information. And they get to use my lessons and other people's lessons that I interview to go out and be better at what they want to do. Now let's say that they grew up using Minnesota Trapline's lures and Dunlap's lures and Blackie's lures. And they have their favorites. And they see me at a show and they're gonna get their, their stuff from those other lure dealers because that's what they use every year and that's what they use before they ever knew of me. But they listen to the show. They watch the stuff that I put out on YouTube. They've learned some things. Most rational adults, and I do this too, they will come buy some stuff for me to try it out. Because one, we've kind of built a relationship through the podcast or through YouTube or demos or schools or whatever it is. They want to find some way to support me because I help them. The biggest lesson I learned in business before trapping and during trapping, if I go out of my way to help people, even if there's a chance nothing's ever going to happen for me, 
my life becomes much better down the road. You can call it karma, you can call it whatever you want, but it's true. See, I do this. I buy t-shirts from guys that I watch, like for say, weightlifting stuff. I've gained a ton of information from Westside Barbell. I buy, I buy probably six, eight shirts from them a year. Do I need the shirts? No. Do I want to wear that to a gym? No, I don't. For the simple fact, when you wear something like that, you, that's, a, that's a hell of a statement in a gym, and I'm not at that level. But I wear them around the house, go out to dinner, something like that. Why do I buy t-shirts from Westside Barbell? Because I want to support them because they've made my life better. Now, I've bought some equipment from them, bands and, and different things like that. But because they helped me, and I can buy the bands from them or from a company I don't know, and they're basically the same bands, I'm going to buy them from Westside. Same thing from... Um, See, I think it's called All-American Roughneck. Seth is a bodybuilder that puts out great information. I've learned a ton from. I bought t-shirts from him. It's, it's the same thing. But what you're going to teach a young person is they can go generate their own income through their own labor without a business telling them to go do it or a school telling them to go do it or a parent telling them to go do it and at the same time you can teach them the biggest lesson in business is you help other people and even though you may not see it right away and it may hurt to give 25% away one they're gonna feel good about it because you want them to physically give that money to somebody you want them to physically give it to them. They're going to feel a dopamine hit and they're going to feel so good about it, they're not going to understand it. But if you can imprint that on them, you're going to have a successful kid in life. Stingy kids struggle. Kids that give, get. So just keep that in mind. All right, so turkey feathers. Really appreciated that show with Chip. It's obvious I knew less about turkeys than I realized, and he knows way more about turkeys than I realized people knew about turkeys. And I guess it's just like trapping. But um, I use turkey feathers. And that may seem like a simple thing, guys. I get it. You just throw some feathers out at a set, and that's what it is. But there's, there's a, a few ways that I use these that I just want to explain because uh, there's a lot of other birds that you can use. I've used stuff from doves and ducks and I've got some swans from Joey Van Dyke out in North Carolina and he gave me the paperwork because they're protected and they were legally taken and, and all this type stuff. But turkeys is, is the easiest because a lot of people hunt them. They may keep the, you know, See, they're not uh, spikes, what do they call them things. Anyway, the, the, the stickers on the back side of their leg. I, you know, a lot of people keep those. 
I, I guess it's a trophy thing like horns. And sometimes they'll keep the tail feathers or, or something like that. But they don't really use all the feathers. And if you talk to people that turkey hunt or you turkey hunt, you're sitting on a gold mine to, to catch more fur. So these are the kinds of ways that I use them. There's three kinds of, of feathers when I look at a turkey. The wings, the tail feathers, and the body feathers. And, I, and I'm going to get as much of that as I can. And I'm going to explain how I use these three. Now, turkey feathers in snow, if you're dealing with snow, so you got a lot of white, they're dark and they spin around and at night they're easy to see. And I'm, I'm thinking of bobcats. So I don't do a whole lot with those. And when I'm making flags, if, you, if it's legal where you're at, keep in mind, everybody's got different laws. If it's legal to use where you're at or you're going trapping, the best, hands down, unequivocally, best bobcat flag I've ever found is a whole turkey wing. The whole freaking wing. Cut it off where it goes in the body, salt it down real good, stack them up where the bugs don't get them. I keep them in uh, burlap bags in a tote. And I've got piles of them. I'll run a wire through that. I'll make a loop. I will run another big loop through that and I'll tie that off to a tree limb. And it looks like a whole freaking animal struggling when the wind's blowing. Nothing I've found. When you compare this to Christmas tinsel and CDs and stuff like that, it's not even in the same league. It's like Boy Scouts against professional football players. That's the difference of having that whole wink. Now, if it's if I'm in Texas or I'm in Tennessee or I'm in Mississippi or I'm in a state that doesn't have a lot of snow, let me tell you some things I do to the turkey wings that make a huge difference. One, I'm going to take those turkey wings and I'm going to take the brightest white spray paint I can and I'm going to take just a racing stripe on an angle down the feathers and I'm going to put several coats of paint on that thing. I want it to be white and I'm going to put it on both sides but I want the other side to be at a different angle. So if you're not dealing with snow, white stands out. We all kind of know that as trappers. But when that thing is spinning and you got that racing stripe of white on there, you can't not look at it. And just the, all the little feathers that are moving and all that and the size of it, like I said, you're not going to find a better. I don't care how creative or what you find at Hobby Lobby, all the, the frou-frou feathers and all, nothing compares with a whole wing. That's my favorite. Now, the tail feathers, or I may take off some of the bigger wing feathers, and I will take off four or five of those from each wing, and I use those for flat sets for bobcats. What I do with them is I make Indian headdresses. I will get a stick or a picket stake, 
I wouldn't use metal just because it's heavy, but something that I can drive in the, in the dirt a little bit. And what I'm gonna do with those longer straight feathers is I'm gonna have them coming out at an angle so it's like a fan. Think about a fan if you're, you know, like you've seen the older people at church when it's hot and they're using the fan, that shape, a fan. And it looks like an Indian headdress. It's extremely unnatural. But when I make my bobcat sets and I have the chute, I can just reach back there instead of digging a hole and I can tap one of those things in the ground and I'm going to have a bobcat's attention because it's crazy looking. It's so unnatural. They're going to want to try to figure out what that thing is because they've never seen one before. They've never seen anything like that before. You're going to have their attention. Now we have all of the small feathers. And what I've noticed with turkeys is you have bigger feathers and you have smaller feathers. And what I like to do is on the bigger feathers, I'll rip out a bunch of those and I'll put those in a separate bag. Then I'll rip all the other feathers off and I'll put those in a bag. So if I'm going up and I'm putting in a dirt hole for cats, I can just take a handful of those and sling it at the set. It's gonna stick on everything. Some's going to go in the hole, some's going to be sticking out of the hole, some's going to be sticking on the brush around the hole. It looks like something just got murdered. Cats like murdered. If I'm in a place that has a lot of cats and a lot of coyotes, and the coyotes have not had a lot of pressure from people that are trying to do a lot of cat trapping, probably maybe two out of ten dirt hole sets, I sling the feathers on top of them. I don't do it on all of them, but maybe say two out of 10, one out of 10, something like that. You can pick up some extra cats and coyotes also like something to be, they like being at murder scenes. They like committing murder and they like looking at murder scenes. And that's what it looks like. So that's the smaller feathers. That's three ways we can use turkey feathers. The last way I like using them for coyotes, the bigger feathers that you find on the turkey. They're not huge. They're only about three, three and a half inches long. But when you make flat sets and you just want to have a little bit of eye peel, just having a feather there, a feather, is not going to scare anything. So if you got a grass clump for coyotes, and you're bedding a, you know, blending a trap in front of it for a flat set. And you just take one of those turkey feathers and shove it down in that grass where it's just peeking out. Now you've got something for that cow to focus on without him, without him being phobic on. So he's not going to be afraid of it. It's not like you, you stuck a headdress down there with the other turkey feathers. That's going to freak a coyote out. Just one. If you're in high wind, what I learned from Slim Peterson is he takes paper clips. If you're younger, you may have to go to Staples and ask what they are because I doubt you use them anymore. But older guys know what paper clips are. And you can take one of those feathers and you can just put it on a bush, on a thick piece of grass or weeds. Put your lure there, blend your trap in front of it. That's how I use the turkey feathers. You can catch fox with them. You can do everything. Now, as, as a plug for myself,
What I like to do also, if I don't have to worry about people at night, is I will smear unfair advantage. With, it glows in the dark up to about 12 hours. Sun charges it. I can smear that on a wing, and if the wing is blowing in the wind, you can see it. I can see it from 150 yards away at night. A cat, probably 500 yards. And it looks like a chem light out there just flashing around because it's going to be moving back and forth. So the light's there. It's not there. It's moving up and down. It's not there. You kind of see what I'm saying there. So you just smear that on there. And as long as you don't wipe it off, you can just go use it on the next set, the next set, the next set, the next set. Because it's sticky when you put it on there. But those feathers can catch you more fox, more coyotes, and a hell of a lot more cats. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, this came from a question from someone that listens to Trapping Radio about marking set locations. Now, I've got some list here of some of the stuff that I've done and I've seen other trappers do. But... I want to say something before we get into this topic. When you roll up on a location and it's a place that say coyotes are going to be at or fox or cats or coon or whatever it is. When you roll up on that location, your eye or your brain or your, your, your super cat spidey senses should go, that's where it goes. Not over on the, the little bitty place where you put the set, but the bigger location where you put the set. I should be able to wake you up in the middle of the night, blindfold you, and take you to where you're going to put that trap. And you should be able to take the blindfold off and go, yeah, this is a good place. No, this is a crappy place. You should have a reason for putting that trap there, which is going to make it so much easier to find the trap when you go back and you look for it. Now, that lot, what I'm saying is tongue-in-cheek because that seems pretty obvious. But it's really not. Because I've been with a lot of people trapping, and here's what happens. You find a good location. Say we're trapping coyotes. You find a good location. You get out, you put your sets in, you're rolling down the road. You find another good location. You get out, you put your traps in. You're rolling down the road. You really don't see a very good location. A few minutes pass, a few more minutes pass, and you start feeling anxious because you're not putting in traps. So what happens most of the time, and I used to do this when I was younger, I would eventually just break down and put a trap in because I'm on a road or a trail, so it, it could catch something. Something could come by here. And those are the traps that are hard to find because there was no reason to put a trap there in the first place. Besides, you feel anxious because you're not putting a trap in the ground over so much time. And if, if everybody that listens to this is honest and is trapped for a while, 
you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Or it's getting dark and you've been putting in good locations and you know you got about 20 minutes of light or you're going to have to get home because of something with the kids or dinner or whatever it is. You know you've got a certain time that you're going to have to leave. Most trappers, me included, we hit this, it's usually about 20 minutes before dark or you have to leave. And you hit almost like a panic state to put in as many traps as you can before that time is over with. And you put traps in places you wouldn't put traps six hours ago. Those traps are hard to find because you shouldn't put them there. Because you really don't have a reason. So if I can't wake you up in the middle of the night and take you to where you set traps two years from now, take the blindfold off and you look around and go, yeah, that's a good place. Don't put a trap there. You're probably wasting your time and wasting your energy because your brain, being the computer that it is, knows rationally that you shouldn't be putting a trap there because it's such a hit or miss. It's probably a waste of time. So let's say that we're putting our traps in good places. We're not just putting them out because we haven't put a trap out in a while or it's getting dark and we got to leave. And we come up, we roll up on a place, and we see it. Now, first off, your brain should be able to recognize a good location every single time you roll through there. The wind's normally blowing from the, you know, right to left. So you know where you're going to put your traps. You've got a reason to put it there. So you put another trap there. Anyway, so that, that should help you. Now, once I started trapping this way, I really don't, I'll be honest, I don't really mark traps except for high fence with markers anymore. Now, when I'm with other people, like we go down to uh, Delta Country and, you know, me, Chip, and Tim, and Jeff, and Haggerty came down there once. and Now, we mark all those sets. Because like halfway through the trip, say Chip's got to get home for two days, take care of some business, and we're not setting traps together, but we, we check them together, and because he may look at locations different, and I look at locations, he may put a trap somewhere that I may not go, okay, I'm putting a trap here, but he's got a reason because of his experience, I can see the flag go, okay, there's a trap here. Or uh, what happens a lot of times is, I may get a bunch of traps out, Carl's staying longer, and he didn't put them out, and it's a reference point to start looking for traps. But see, we've all kind of trapped together enough that we kind of know what our styles are and where to look once we see the flag. So we're going to start with tape flagging. We all know what it is. Guys, it's dangerous. It really is dangerous unless you're on private ground. You can come up with a system of, say, 50 yards in front of the set on the opposite side, and you're going to mark it. 
and you'll get away with that for a while. But here's what happens if you've got people that start looking for your traps. They're going to see the flag and eventually they're going to find a trap. And people can recognize patterns. So they're going to see a trap and they're going to look around and get said, well, there's a flag on the opposite side of the road and it's 50 feet or 50 yards in front of this. So the next flag they find, they're going to go 50 feet in front of it on the opposite side and lo and behold, there's another trap. Well, see, they're, once they figure out your pattern, they're going to do that. Some people put, I've seen trappers put them right over their sets, right next to their sets and stuff like that. And you don't have to find a pattern to find their stuff. And I, and I know a lot of guys will go, yeah, but you know, deer hunters put flags out all the time. That don't mean there's a trap there, this, that, and the other. But as soon as someone recognizes a pattern and they're not an honest person, they're going to take advantage of you. So if you're on private ground, I think flags are great. I like using flags when I'm on the river because the river can change, especially down here, the rivers can change four to six feet in any direction in a day and the river looks different and your set looks different. So I will use small flags and I will just be as discreet as I can. But every now and then, I get clipped. Because if someone figures out that, they can figure out the rest of the flags. Now, when I used to do a lot of muskrat trapping with cages, my system was very different. I put out a, a flagging on every single trap really close to the hole, but I'm moving them every day. So if I've got 100 traps out, I've got 100 flags. The next day, there's 100 new flags with 100 new traps. So within five days, I got 500 flags out. Well, someone finds a trap and a flag, and they see all these other flags, and they start going to a bunch of empty holes, they just, they just give up. And that really worked for me on the river for muskrats. I never took those flags up. Probably should have. I'm sure um, the woke society would be on to me for leaving those flags out. But that was my way, because if I just always had the flag over the trap, eventually I was going to get tagged a lot. But that, and I, that just overwhelmed someone that saw flags because they'd go out there one day within a quarter mile, there's 100 flags are going, what the hell? Next day, there's 200, then there's 300, then there's 400, then there's 500. They ain't checking 500 flags. If you're gonna be on the water, you need to get a GPS or figure out an app on your phone to use a GPS. Rivers change. The way a river looks in the morning, in the evening, in the shade and rain and sunshine is very different and you can get confused. At least I can. GPS is much better. Now when I'm fence trapping, the way that we mark those was a pattern, but it, we're on private ground. So when you're running fence snares, and if you're driving in a normal American car where the steering wheel is on the left hand side. You don't want to run the fence on the right-hand side of the car unless you're running a Jeep with no doors or a four-wheeler. 
because you can't see the flag because you got metal between you and the fence. So you want to be able to, to lean your head out the door like a dog with a fence right there and you can see everything. So if we're running forward and the fence is on my left hand side, I'm driving on the left hand side, what we would do is we would see a hole, put a snare in it, walk back about 10 feet and put a, a small flagging in the fence. So when we're going down the fence and we saw the flag, our eyes would automatically go about 10 feet in front of it on a down angle and we would just automatically see the hole or the snare itself. That's the way we did fences. Another reason we started doing that is coyotes started keying off of the flags directly over the hole. When we took them away from the hole, we took that away from the coyotes. So again, if you're running a lot of traps and you're having trouble finding your stuff, you need to get a GPS or get something on your phone that you can run GPS with. I've got a radio show with Joey Van Dyke where he talks about the GPS. You can go back and just Google Trapping Radio Joey Van Dyke. Um, he, he's a master with a GPS. He's a boat captain, so all of his holes and all that stuff, he's used to dealing with a GPS. If you're older, trust me, you can figure it out. If you can't, go grab a 12-year-old and he'll have you going in a few minutes. It's not that complicated. Now let's get a little more creative. Now you're going to have to pay attention because what we're going to talk about is a little bit harder to find. If I'm around fields, like most of the fields that, uh, that you trap on, unless you're somewhere like Indiana or Illinois or Iowa, where it's just field, 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 and they've cut everything and you know there's nothing there but what was it's going to be corn or soybeans there's nothing in the fence there's there's nothing there this is going to be a little bit different but for the most part <coughs> if i'm driving down a road and i come out through the woods and there's a big cornfield sitting here there's going to be a road that's going to be next to the cornfield well Unless it's a place that completely clear cuts everything, there's going to be brush. So a discreet way to mark your sets is clip a bunch of that brush. You don't want it huge. You just want it where you'll be able to notice it when you're looking for it. And across from where your set's at, go just stick that thing down in the dirt. If it's frozen, you're going to have a lot harder time. That's the reason I don't live up north. But you can go over and you can push that in. So once your brain gets accustomed to looking for those little those little pieces of brush that's stuck over there, most people are not going to pay any attention to that because it looks like a piece of brush is growing up, but it's really out of place. And your brain will start recognizing that pattern and you'll be able to key off that pretty quick. That's a pretty slick way to mark your sets where most people aren't going to be able to pay attention to that. Another thing you could do, which is a little bit uh, more work, but it'll definitely catch your attention, is just taking a shovel, if you've got looser soil, 
and just dig a grass clump real quick and go set it across from your trap out in the field and it just looks like a piece of grass growing up but it really doesn't fit there you don't want to do that if there's grass growing everywhere it looks just like it it won't work so that's one thing that you can do the other thing and i learned this from johnny it's a it's an old school way of woodsmanship that not a lot of people do anymore one you're going to be better off if you get a bigger knife or a small axe that's sharp but if you're around any type of trees or brush it's just marking with a hack now when a tree's got bark on it and you take out two or three inches of that bark it's going to stand out but it's probably not going to stand out to 90 percent of the people that drive down that road for one they're not looking for it and you are and this is the way that old school mountain men used to actually travel that's how they would mark where they were going they would mark their sets they would shit this shave off a little piece of bark they're really in tune to their surroundings and to them they could find what they were looking for there's no reason you can't do that you're not going to kill the tree you're not ringing it like a beaver you're just with an axe you can or a bigger knife you can just shave that off real quick pretty slick Johnny was doing that up to the end that's how he marked a lot of his sets with shaving trees but going back to the first point guys to close if you're putting your trap in a place there should be a trap you should recognize that that's a place that should have a trap the next day when you come and check now I'm gonna be honest I don't mark a lot of sets when I'm by myself because I can remember and count or I can talk you through a trap line the day after I set it as long as I go in the same direction I said this has screwed me up before going with uh, the guys down in the Delta they go one way around the farm the way I set no problem they go the other way and I'm freaking lost my brain sees everything going in one direction and I can as I'm looking around as I'm driving it made sense to have a trap there so there's a trap there but when you're coming the other direction things look very different and you don't see the same thing so if you're gonna go off of memory always drive the same direction always now one thing I just thinking about and popped in my mind I guess before we go when me and Ed were trapping in New Mexico in the high desert where it was sandy we started running um, off of the odometer and I've talked about this in the past instead of worrying about locations because pretty much everywhere we got out of the truck there was coyote sign we just set like every mile and a half or two miles I don't remember which one it is it could have been a mile so we set the first trap he's watching the odometer when he hit a mile he slammed on the brakes we went in each direction now the way we marked that we made artificial coyote 
scratches on the driver's side, which was Ed's side, on the driver's side, so when we got close to that mile, we knew we were off in opposite directions of the coyote scratch. So we just had one of those three claw things that gardeners use, and we would just make it like a coyote's dug it up. You could see that anywhere, but that was a reference point that no one would ever pay attention, nor did they ever pay attention to. And we would go behind these sand dunes where the mesquite was at and pin our coyotes behind these big sand dunes. And no one was ever the wiser. So that, that's another way. Just be creative. What can you do to get your attention that most people are not gonna pay attention to? It could be a Walmart bag. It could be a Coke can. It could be anything, really. It could be a, a black plastic bag that's just kind of ripped up, just, you know, just kind of wrapping around a limb like the wind took it there. But I think you're going to be better off if you learn how to use the GPS. And I hope that helps, man. That's about all I can come up with. And guys, I'll talk to you all next week. Y'all have fun.